98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Carrie Lamb takes aim at the Liberal Studies curriculum. A Form 1 student reporter covering yesterday's anti-government protest raises safety concerns. And Ocean Park says it needs $5.4 billion in emergency funding or it could close down next month. Chief Executive Carrie Lamb says the government will map out the future of the Liberal Studies curriculum later this year after accusing some people of poisoning schoolchildren by spreading false or biased information. Priscilla Ng reports. While many credit liberal studies with helping young people develop critical thinking skills, it's also come in for fierce criticism from those who say the curriculum has radicalized students and link it to the ongoing social unrest in the city. In an exclusive interview with the pro-Beijing Ta Kung Pao, Carrie Lam said it's important to protect students from being poisoned, pointing out that some subjects, such as liberal studies, could be, as she put it, penetrated. She said education must not be left unregulated and problems must be dealt with as they arise. Apart from the Education Bureau, the chief executive stressed the management and sponsoring bodies of schools must also serve as gatekeepers. Government critics hit back. Education sector lawmaker Ip Kin Yun says teachers are unfairly targeted by Carrie Lam and that she may push for a major overhaul of the Liberal Studies curriculum. And Democratic Party legislator Helena Wong accused the CE of not facing up to her government's failings. She also lacked the kind of self-reflection and to understand the shortcoming of the government and she also ignored all the comments the public comments on police brutality mm. and she said that we only distort and smear the police. Mm. So I think this is the crux of the matter. If Carrie Lam cannot reflect on this issue and to set up an independent commission to investigate police brutality, Hong Kong will stand still and cannot move forward. The government says it's highly concerned about underage people claiming to be reporters, saying it's extremely dangerous. A Form 1 pupil was one of two taken away by the police during yesterday's anti-government demonstrations before they were released later. The head of the New Journalists Association, Chris Young, says there is no law barring teenagers from carrying out reporting work, but they should abide by journalistic principles and not take part in the protests. They or their parents or the teachers should let them know uh, the situation and environment there, the potential risks and dangers they should be fully aware of before uh, doing reporting. And thirdly, keep an eye on, on their exact positions, that they are not in the position that blocks, say, police uh, enforcement of law or journalists doing the work. The government has cut almost by half its proposed bailout plan for Ocean Park from the original $10.6 billion to $5.4 billion and warned that without that money, the theme park could go out of business as early as next month. Lawmakers will scrutinise the emergency funding request at Friday's LegCo Finance Committee meeting. The Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Edward Yao, says the latest proposal will keep the park afloat for the next 12 months. And we need to give them a contingency money so that they can sort of keep the park running while we are sorting out the future. So there will be, at a later stage, another plan to sort of take the park forward. But I think circumstances has required to have a major rethink, uh, in particular 
taking into account of the drastically changed business operation and the tourism scene, which we have seen since COVID-19. Professor Brian King from the Polytechnic University School of Hotel and Tourism Management says even $5.4 billion in emergency funding won't guarantee Ocean Park survival, as it fell behind its competitors in recent years. But he also says the park's collapse would have a negative impact all round. Well, it would leave Disney as the sole theme park, I guess a monopoly if you like. Uh, probably not a good situation. A practical side would be what to do with the animals. Uh, lots of job losses. And of course, Ocean Park plays a very integral part in tourism across Hong Kong, the whole supply chain. And increasingly in that Aberdeen area, you know, with all the small enterprises and, mm. the, <clears throat> and antique shops and so on, it's, it's part of the, the MTR station. It's really part of that precinct. So it would leave a, a great blight, I think, if it was not there. You're listening to RTHK, the time's exactly five minutes past 11. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, says her administration is in talks with mainland and Macau authorities about lifting some of the travel restrictions in the region. Priscilla Ng reports. In her interview with Ta Kong Pao, Carrie Lam said she hopes to reach an agreement with mainland and Macau authorities by the end of this month to allow certain frequent cross-border travelers to move around different cities without having to undergo quarantine. The chief executive also talked up her government's measures, saying officials have dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic swiftly and cautiously in an open and transparent manner. On the government's distribution of free reusable masks, she said she's saddened to hear allegations of collusion or black box operation, saying her colleagues had worked incredibly hard to secure the materials needed to make the masks. She accused the opposition camp of trying to score political points by criticizing the government and quoted World Health Organization chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus as saying that people should not politicize the virus. The CE pointed to the fact that more than two million people had signed up for the free masks, which she says shows just how popular they are. People Power lawmaker Ray Chan has filed a report with the police accusing pro-Beijing lawmaker Kwok Wai Kung of common assault amid the chaos in Friday's LegCo House Committee meeting. TV footage showed Mr Kwok from the Federation of Trade Unions threw Mr Chan to the ground and dragged him on the floor for several metres. He says doctors told him he suffered a slipped disc. Mr Chan also says he plans to launch a private prosecution against the FTU lawmaker. We will do it at the same time, parallel. If the police and the DOJ take action in this few days, maybe we did not do it. But if they do nothing just too long time, we will go ahead to, to start our crowdfunding and go ahead our private prosecution. Lawmakers have given their initial approval for $10 billion in extra funding to cover cost overruns for the MTR's scandal-plagued shot into Central Rail Link. The green light from the LegCo Public Works subcommittee means the funding request can now go to the Finance Committee for final approval. But Pandemocrats are unhappy, questioning why the public was paying for a project dogged by soaring costs, delays and shoddy work. LegCo has previously approved more than $80 billion for the project, due to be completed in 2022. Across the border, Wuhan has reported a small cluster of new locally transmitted cases of the coronavirus, the highest number in the city since the pandemic was declared. Wuhan was the original epicentre of the outbreak. More from the BBC's Robin Brandt in Shanghai. 
We're seeing a fresh cluster emerge in Wuhan, the city where this all began. Apparently, this is around one housing compound, and apparently it's linked to an 89-year-old man who first fell ill with this new type of virus back in March. He stayed at home, we're told, wasn't treated at hospital, but since then, there have been a number of cases related to that compound in the double digits. And in the last 24 hours, we're seeing five new reported cases there at this single compound. The case number is very small, but nonetheless, it will be huge hugely concerning because it is fresh cases emerging domestically. South Korea's Prime Minister has warned that the government will take strong measures if visitors to clubs and bars at the centre of a recent COVID-19 outbreak in Seoul refuse to take coronavirus tests. 86 new cases have been linked to venues in the Itaewon district. Some of the establishments there cater to the LGBTQ community. The BBC's Laura Bicker in Seoul explains why tracing the virus is proving hard. Right now, they are trying to trace a number of people who may not want to come out. And the reason for that is because being gay in South Korea is extremely difficult. You can sometimes lose your family and lose your job. So many people, yes, have perhaps given false names at the door and may be reluctant to come forward. Health officials are emphasising that all they want to do is catch the virus. They're saying that every test will be private. You don't have to give your name. But they're also warning that if you don't come forward and it's found out that you have infected others, you could face a fine of up to $2,000. In Australia, schools have been one of the most controversial parts of COVID-19 lockdowns. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has consistently argued that all children should be at school, which has put him at odds with state governments, which control education. Today, students in New South Wales, the nation's most popular state, are starting a phased return to the classroom. Sarah Mitchell is the Minister for Education in New South Wales. It's a really exciting day for our students across New South Wales to be getting back into the classroom. I think that parents should know that it is a very safe environment for their children to be heading back into. It is the best thing for their child's education to go back into the classroom. I'm really confident that this process will go well. I think the managed and phased return to school has been the right call by us as a government. If the next couple of weeks go well, I'm certainly keen as Education Minister to get all our children back into the classroom as quickly as possible. Millions of Europeans are adjusting to a further gradual easing of coronavirus restrictions in many countries across the continent. In France, there's been a limited reopening of primary schools and many businesses and shops are starting up again. But large numbers of employees continue to work from home. From Paris, here's the BBC's Hugh Schofield. I'm on the Champs-Élysées and on that street over here, cars. Uh, for the last eight weeks, the Champs-Élysées has been really empty. Now we have this unwanted sight of, of traffic once again going up and down this magnificent avenue. I have to say, though, it's not normal. The street is much, much em emptier. Only some shops are opening. And one senses that the return to uh, activity, uh, which is occurring today, is, is one that is tentative, partial, gradual, uh, as if people are looking out through their curtains and saying, yes, life is going back. But I think I'll wait a little before I dip in my toe completely. In Spain, measures have been relaxed for the half of the population who live in less badly affected areas. Cafes and restaurants have reopened outdoor terraces, but at greatly reduced capacity. And in Germany, politicians have expressed concern that conspiracy theories are helping fuel anti-lockdown protests that erupted in several cities over the weekend. Officials say the demonstrations were being hijacked by extremist and fringe groups. 
Britain, meanwhile, has published details of its plan for a gradual relaxation of its lockdown. Prime Minister Boris Johnson's initial announcement last night has faced criticism for being confusing. The BBC's Rob Watson has more on what's been provided. The first step would be people going back to work. People will, for the first time, be urged to start wearing face coverings if they're in enclosed areas. And then the third big headline, I think, on the, the right away is that quarantine will be introduced uh, to international visitors to the UK, apart from if you're coming from France or, or from Ireland. Step two, in the beginning of June, all primary schools, they hope to be open by the end of the summer. Sporting events behind closed doors, the government hopes. And uh, sad news for those needing a haircut, no hairdresser or beauty salons. And just finally, that the step three, which is envisaged for the beginning of July, more businesses to be allowed to reopen, but not crowded ones. Iran says 19 sailors were killed and 15 others in a friendly fire incident. One of its warships accidentally fired a missile at another vessel during a military exercise in the Gulf of Oman. The BBC's Sebastian Usher reports. Iran's state broadcaster has so far said that the incident occurred when a light support vessel stayed too close after moving a practice target to its destination and was then hit by a missile fired from another warship. Iran regularly holds military exercises in the Gulf of Oman, which leads to the Strait of Hormuz, one of the most critical waterways in the world through which much of the global supply of oil passes. Tensions have arisen there as the showdown between Iran and the US has intensified. To sports, there are now fears positive coronavirus tests could affect the reopening of the German Bundesliga this weekend. Second-tier Dynamo Dresden have placed their entire squad into isolation for two weeks after two players tested positive. Here's the German football writer Rafa Honingstein. They cannot play their game. Uh, next weekend they will also not be able to play the, the game after. Of course, that throws up huge questions about the fixture list, about the um, competitive disadvantage that they will have if they come back, when they come back. And it just shows, I think, just how fragile this concept is, even with the best of intentions and best me measures available. To New Zealand, where a domestic tournament involving five super rugby teams will begin on June the 13th, after the government relaxed restrictions on sports competitions. The event is called Super Rugby Aotearoa, featuring the Blues, the Chiefs, the Hurricanes, the Crusaders and the Highlanders. Teams will play each other home and away over ten weeks, with two matches per weekend in empty stadiums. A reminder of our top stories tonight, Carrie Lamb takes aim at the Liberal Studies curriculum. A Form 1 student reporter covering yesterday's anti-government protests raises safety concerns. And Ocean Park says it needs $5.4 billion in emergency funding or it could close down next month. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Education sector lawmaker Ip Kin Yun says the chief executive's accusation that students were being poisoned by some people spreading false or biased information at schools is groundless and achieves nothing. Carrie Lam also said in an interview with a pro-Beijing newspaper that the government would map out the future of the liberal studies curriculum later this year. The subject has been criticised by some for radicalising students. Mr Ip told Anna-Marie Evans that the chief executive should not be blaming the education sector for the troubles Hong Kong has found itself in over the past year. The chief executive is not fair to the education sector. She put all the blame on the education sector. And I think she has to reflect on why, you know, the kind of standard is 
then it was followed by uh, police brutality. People are you know, angry about it, uh, all these things. And it's not because of education. There is nothing to do with education at all. So when she put all the blame on the education sector, I think she achieved nothing. Now, are you worried that the government may choose to scrap the Liberal Studies subject altogether or carry out a major revamp of its curriculum? I think she is talking about, you know, because of the curriculum review, the government might do something about, you know, the subjects of Liberal Studies. And she is hinting that, you know, there might be major overhaul of uh, that. So I think that is worrying. Now, Mrs Lam said in the interview that apart from liberal studies, other subjects may be penetrated or infiltrated, to use her words, without referring to anyone in particular. So what do you think of those comments? I think most of the teachers are very responsible and we stick to our professionalism. So uh, this kind of comment is groundless and I, I don't think uh, she is making a bad comment on that. Now, she said school management and school groups are responsible for making sure that students don't get poisoned by wrong messages. Do you think she's trying to encourage schools to take a tougher stance against outspoken teachers? Yeah, uh, that's certainly a very strong word, uh, message. I think that, that all people, including the sponsoring bodies and uh, the school administration, should make sure that you know we have, uh, the students receive good and balanced education. But Mrs. Lam is uh, saying that uh, all, all people have the responsibility to make sure that you know, the information uh, the students received are not uh, biased. I think that is the case now. And there is no evidence that you know, anything wrong is done by the teachers. And I think well, she is making, again, a very unfair comment on teachers. The government will ask the Legislative Council to approve $5.4 billion in emergency funding for Ocean Park, warning that the tourist attraction would close down as early as next month if it doesn't get the cash. However, Professor Brian King from the Polytechnic University School of Hotel and Tourism Management told Jim Gould that while getting the cash injection is important, it is no guarantee of the park's long-term sustainability. Well, it's no guarantee of success. I think that its future is in jeopardy with or without the funding. Honestly, it's, I've said previously, its Ocean Park has slipped behind rivals a bit in, in recent years. But if it's going to survive, it undoubtedly needs this bridging funding. I mean, it has come back from the brink in the past. You know, it, it was written off some years ago and managed to come back and compete effectively with Disney. It's a new competitive environment, so different sets of challenges. So uh, I think the bridging funding is essential, but uh, it's no guarantee of success. Now, uh, it is, of course, a much-loved attraction, but, uh, but what are some of the problems that Ocean Park needs to address if it does indeed want to turn the situation around and have a long-term future? Well, it needs to be competitive with other equivalent parks across the Greater Bay Area, like Chimlong in Zhuhai, for example, which gets about double the visitors. Uh, it needs to increase the visitor expenditures, so it charges a bit less than Disney and needs to up the, uh, the merchandising. It really needs to win the hearts of Hong Kongers. I mean, I think many Hong Kongers do love Ocean Park. They've got a very nostalgic connection with the place. Somehow that needs 
to work through to spending more money there, visiting, also corporate support from uh, bigger Hong Kong-based uh, ventures. So I, I think this is going to be an interesting challenge for for Hong Kong to see how much the people really embrace Ocean Park. Do they think it's uh, a place for Hong Kong and Hong Kongers? Um, so that's going to be a challenge. And given that it's not going to be as big as the competitors like uh, Chimelong and Zhuhai, the smallest beautiful model is not so easy. Uh, but Greater Bay Area has got 70 million people, so uh, there's a potential catchment area. But unless it's embraced by Hong Kong, then I don't think it's going to, to work. It has been suggested that the government uh, should give every Hong Kong family free tickets to Ocean Park and Disneyland, for that matter, when they reopen. Uh, what do you think of that idea? Well, I, I think getting Hong Kongers to embrace these places is very important. So uh, so I think that's a pretty good idea, honestly. I, I think you need to reacquaint people with, with the place. I think you need to generate a bit of excitement. And look, sounds good to me. An expert in respiratory medicine has played down concerns that people who take reusable masks from the government could inhale copper particles from the filter. The official spearheading the mask handout, Secretary for Innovation and Technology, Alfred it, says he's checking with suppliers about the concerns, but stress the masks have undergone repeated tests. Medical Association respiratory expert Leung Chi Chu told Joanne Wong he has some concerns about the reusable masks, but the copper filter is not one of them. I'm not concerned at all about the filtration efficiency because uh, in a low-risk community setting, the emphasis should be on user convenience and user comfortability. For the filtration, uh, we do not need to meet those filtration standards established for medical practices. And even for them, because the face shield is less than one. 100% and so that we cannot believe I think all this figure uh, on its face value because there's a lot of uh, leakage around the mask anyway. You won't be able to achieve uh, that sort of filtering efficiency uh, in real life setting. Have you tried it on then when you were talking about uh, user convenience uh, no, and comfort? I, I have not had the chance to uh, try it on but look at uh, some of the specifications. It's just about the uh, beefing resistance uh, some concern. But uh, the resistance, the uh, testing figures, uh, because they are tested uh, on a sealed mass, more or less on sealed mass, uh, and does not reflect the actual situation. Because the mask is not likely to fit very tightly on the face uh, unless uh, you pull the string very tight, there will be a lot of leakage. The effective beefing resistance will be much less. But the problem is more of the cleaning and drying, which may be a little bit cumbersome. And uh, that may be a concern, especially in um, old-age homes when the elderly may not be able to clean it and use it very effectively. There are also concerns about the filter that's made of a copper, that some of the substance may be breathed in. Do you share the same concern? As long as I understand from what has been announced, they appear to be using uh, larger copper particles, a lot of lendo particles. And uh, the filters within the mask will be able to filter all of these larger copper particles. 
the problem is with the larger copper particles, the contact area will be substantially reduced. That may put a question mark on the actual efficiency of the these copper particles in activating the viruses. Because if the virus are trapped in the, the respiratory secretion and if the particles are so large and the effective surface area will much reduce, it may not work, I think, in activating the virus at all. Do you still see it as a an effective protection for the general public. Any sort of face covering will be effective uh, in filtering over the vast majority of larger droplets. So it's fine as long as you feel comfortable putting it on, it should be okay. Have you registered for your CU mask? Not yet because I don't have time, but uh, I, I may be ordering it at some time. But it's not a personal matter because in high-risk scenarios, we need to use a disposable mask anyway. Because the removal, storage and reuse of hazard points in infection control in high-risk setting. What about on a normal day, regular day when you're not working, not in a high-risk area? Uh, Would you be using uh, this mask? Personally, I like something simple. I like the, the simple cough mask uh, so that I can have a number of them uh, and change them as frequently as I would like. And uh, I will put it in a plastic bag and then when I'm back, I will put it all in the washing machine and wash it all together. Hong Kong Post says it'll start delivering the reusable masks in the next couple of days. The first country to record a case of COVID-19 after China was Thailand, and it is also one of the first to bring the rate of new infections down to fewer than 10 a day. So the government is now easing the lockdown on much of the country's commercial life imposed six weeks ago. However, as the BBC's Jonathan Head found out, the Thai authorities are not relaxing their guard against the coronavirus, and many restrictions remain in place. A Japanese-style shabu restaurant in the hip Bangkok neighborhood of Ari. It's humming with life after a partial relaxation of the lockdown, which dealt a huge blow to this city's nightlife. Even now, though, there are all sorts of restrictions still in place. Owner Tanapan Vongchinsri has installed ingenious S-shaped partitions of transparent plastic sheeting to divide his tables, which allows diners to eat together while still observing the strict health requirements laid down by the authorities. When the government ordered us to allow only one person per table, we knew immediately we'd lose money, he told me. They gave us no advice on how to deal with it, so we tried different types of screens until we came up with these. Far from being put off, the screens appear to have become a selling point for his customers, and he's booked up a week in advance. But Tanapan's business is the exception here. All along Soy Ari, you can see shuttered businesses and restaurants with empty tables, still relying on takeaway and delivery orders as they did during the full lockdown. Thailand's economy is expected to contract by nearly 7% this year. Unemployment may hit 10 million. But despite getting COVID-19 infections down to some of the lowest in the world, Health Minister Anutin Chawirakun, a bit muffled behind his face mask, says they cannot relax their guard yet. We will move with caution and, of course, with care. The safety of Thai people is the most important factor. People will need to understand the nature of this disease 
as well as understand how to make a daily living. Thailand has been under a state of emergency since mid-March. The elected parliament has no say over the government's strict lockdown measures. There's little public debate. This is a temple in Bangkok's low-income port district. Dozens of health workers in various levels of protective clothing have summoned the local residents to be swabbed for the coronavirus in mobile booths that they've brought in. Preacher Prempri, Deputy Director General at the Disease Control Department, explains that they don't know the situation inside most communities because with limited capacity, Thailand has only been testing in hospitals. He fears that if they don't start intensive testing in areas like this one, Thailand could be vulnerable to a second and possibly larger wave of the virus. Everyone cooperates with the unpleasant business of having a cotton swab inserted deep into the nose. Thailand's population gets a lot of praise for its compliance with COVID-19 precautions, from almost universal wearing of face masks to social distancing. Yet for many, the economic impact is the more serious threat. 80-year-old Widget Rukwiri lives just around the corner from the temple in a cramped house built over waterlogged ground. We are afraid of it, but we have to work. Which one are we supposed to be more scared of dying from? We need to make ends meet first, don't we? We have to make a living, no matter what. For millions of Thais, making a living must for the moment come second to defeating this new disease. Even as case numbers fall to levels that other countries can only dream of reaching. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion, and I'm usually quite laid back. But you can count me in to fight COVID-19. Here are my tips. Don't go to work and seek medical advice promptly if you're unwell. Avoid eating out or going out if it's not necessary. Keep at least one meter apart from others and avoid contact with people who show symptoms. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for us to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to time to enjoy Nostalgia with Ray Cordero from now until 1 a.m.
that's where someone hopes to be in Venice. <laughs> Summertime in Venice, played by Mantovani. You see, a lot of people really enjoy enjoy the, that beautiful, beautiful melody. An evening now with Perry Como. Some enchanted evening You may see a stranger You may see a stranger Across a crowded room And somehow you know You know Somewhere you'll see her again and again. 